Hey everyone, Happy New Year. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast for the first episode of 2021. So today's episode, I'm speaking to Dr. Rupi Orjula. He is an NHS doctor, a cookery author, and a wonderful friend. He's actually a return guest of the Power Hour. So his first episode was in 2018. So I was really, really grateful to have Rupi back on the show. In this episode, we reflect a little bit on 2020 and we look forward to the year ahead. We talk about lifestyle medicine and nutrition and supplements. We also talk about diet and diet culture and our mindset around language and choice and abundance and change and adaptation. We discussed so many things and I really, really enjoyed this interview. So I hope that you will enjoy this episode as much as I did. I think that's really important for, for anyone listening to this about how you tell your own story to yourself, because that can either be a positive or negative story. It's not as, as easy thing to do, but it's definitely a strategy that's helped me and, and potentially helped lots of other people as well. Welcome to the Power Hour, the weekly podcast that will motivate you to pursue your passion and to achieve success. I'm Adrienne Herbert, international speaker, fitness coach, Adidas global ambassador and entrepreneur. Each week, I'll be talking to today's leading coaches, creatives, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, morning routines and rules to live by. The Power Hour is all about taking just one hour each day to help you improve your life and unlock your full potential. Whether you want to build a business, write a book, run a marathon or maybe you're just looking for a spark of inspiration. The Power Hour is going to help you get there faster. Rupi, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so, so happy to have you as the first guest of the new year. I know, I'm really honoured. I was just saying this before we start recording. I had no idea it was going to be the first episode and I am privileged to be asked to come back on for the second time. It's, yeah. uh, it's such an honour. Yeah, well, for anyone who hasn't listened to your first episode, I think you were on the show in two, maybe the end of 2018 or maybe mm. maybe 2019. But yeah, we did an episode and it was it was really, really interesting and had such amazing feedback. I think the way you talk about nutrition and food and making it accessible and, the, you know, everything that you talked about in in your episode with your your own journey and everything that you're doing within the medical profession. It was it was amazing. So, yeah, I'm really, really pleased that you would come back and give us another hour of your time. Of course. And I mean, I guess I want to start off with a little bit of reflection, because let's be honest, you know, living through a global pandemic as an <laughs> NHS doctor, I can't actually even imagine what that was like but I guess if you could maybe give us a bit of context for anyone who's not familiar with you or with your work or with lifestyle medicine could you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure yeah of course I'd be glad to so as a refresher for anyone who listened to the first one or anyone who hasn't come across some of my work before so I'm I'm an NHS doctor I've been working uh, as a doctor now for 11 going to 12 years um and I started sort of my journey when I got ill or when I first qualified as a junior doctor in 2009. Um, three months into the job, I started suffering with uh, palpitations. I was diagnosed with atrial fibrillation. And that was the start of my journey looking at lifestyle medicine and uh, food and men meditation and movement, all the things that you talk about in your podcast. And, you know... I did a deep dive into the nutrition literature uh, and, and really 
discovered a whole load of things about nutrition and, and lifestyle medicine, things that we weren't taught at medical school. And so my whole journey throughout the doctor's kitchen has been trying to retrospectively figure out how I was able to overcome my own medical problem using a food and lifestyle approach and having more open, honest conversations with, with patients and talking to them about how they can eat their way to health, how they can prevent disease. And there's kind of the, the common thread through all the work that I, I do. Reflecting on this year, it's been a really interesting um, journey, I would say. Uh, so we started the year with a new studio here where we're going to be doing recipes and podcasts and uh, a whole bunch of content. Uh, obviously, we had to shut down the studio, uh, so no videography or anything like that. I, was, I, I work currently in the NHS two to three days a week. I was dragged pretty much back in uh, full time um, because I've done some ITU work in Australia when I was out there um, back in 2014. Um, I was roped into uh, quite a novel team. They were called the Family Rela uh, Relation Liaison Team. And it was a, uh, a senior-led team of anesthetists, cardiologists, uh, and people with ITU experience who are fully qualified GPs like myself. Um, and we, our job was to essentially inform the patients' families of their progress, because as everyone I'm sure is aware, relatives aren't allowed to come into the hospital um, because of infection control reasons. We had uh, upwards of 40 people on the ITU, so it was extended beyond the ITU into the surgical ward uh, and, and wards around the uh, the hospital as well. I was still doing a bit of A&E, but actually A&E was quite quiet because people were understandably scared and weren't coming into the hospital at the start of the year uh, during the first lockdown. Um, and and that you, was quite... You know, sorry, Rupi, you mm. said people felt scared, you know, they weren't coming to A&E. Mm. How did you feel? You know, as a doctor who is, you know, I think we just look, oh, the doctors, they work there, but you're also a person with a family. How did you feel when the pandemic first started and when you're still learning about what the virus is and how it's going to affect and how it's going to be transmitted. Did you feel scared going into work? Yeah, it's a good question. Thanks for asking the question because I, I don't think it gets asked enough, even amongst us medics, actually, you know, whether we do feel scared, it's just like, how are you coping? Because uh, obviously you're going to get on with it. Um, but no, I, I definitely felt scared, hugely scared. I mean, I... I basically made sure my family were all in check. My sister was pretty much isolating in a, in a flat. She wanted to go back to Manhattan. And I was like, you ain't going nowhere. You're staying there. And I was really heavy handed with my approach to securing my family and making sure that they were uh, all secure. Not that all of them listened to me initially. Um, I don't think I was one of the people that were ahead of the curve in terms of recognizing the seriousness of this uh back in february uh i was probably more of the the sort of camp that believed it was going to be like h1n1 um when i first qualified we, we actually had the, a pandemic um in 2009 so uh, i was working in the respiratory ward so i thought it was going to be something similar to that where it was bad but it wasn't that bad and it was just going to affect the most vulnerable so uh when i came to grips with just how <clears throat> serious it was by speaking to ITU colleagues, uh, NE colleagues, and recognizing, you know, this isn't just affecting people over the age of 65 or those with comorbidities, it's affecting everyone. Um, that's when I started to panic a little bit myself. So going into work every day, yeah, it was, it was um, scary at times, um, particularly when there was a whole PPE 
pandemonium. Um, but uh, I think, you know, what binds uh, medics together is this sort of camaraderie that kind of came out of, you know, the, this common um, this common goal, this, this common sort of uh, fight. Um, and you kind of leave your your um, fears at the door, but it definitely comes back. And it will definitely come back to hit us probably months, if not years from now, with people suffering from PTSD. In fact, I, I did a podcast episode on how to deal with moral injuries uh, of which many people will be experiencing um, in the months and weeks to come, uh, particularly after this winter episode. So, yeah, I, 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 to answer your question in short, absolutely, I was petrified. Um, but the more we get exposed to it, the kind of the less it scares us and and the more used to it not not that it's still not a threat it's just that you you kind of adapt mm. well yeah i think adapt is definitely was the seemed to be the word of of the year last year it was like how can we adapt our businesses how can we adapt our, our routines mm. our our daily habits how can we adapt how we work out or how we live and how we commute and how we travel everything had to adapt and change and evolve so what are some of the changes that, that that you saw I guess you know with the work because you do so many things so you have your podcast I know you've mm. written another book that we're going to talk about you present on social media as well as working as a doctor so what are some of the changes that you have seen and maybe maybe for better and for worse things that hopefully hopefully will continue into this year yeah yeah so on a practical level um we obviously shut down the studio it was kind of like safety first uh my my team of, of people who work freelance for the doctor's kitchen so the videographer and my podcaster the uh, uh, producer you know they always come into the studio and we have like big like family meals with guests and all that kind of stuff and all that kind of stuff had to stop um but we adapted very quickly so straight away on zoom and skype and um, to do the podcasts uh, i learned very quickly how to use this setup machinery that i have in front of me right now the mics and stuff probably something i should learn as a podcaster to do things independently rather than relying on a, on a producer um my uh my pa is virtual actually so she's based in scotland and she's been an immense help generally just getting things organized and and slotting things together um and then I, I started working with um, an agent right at the start of the year, uh, something I haven't done for a number of years now. And, and they adapted very quickly in terms of uh, changing all my, um, my appearances and events and all that kind of stuff. I do a lot of corporate events and speaking events. There, there are meant to be loads of things that are in person, um, but we obviously went to virtual. But the biggest adaptation and the, the thing that I'm most proud about is not like me completing my master's and, and doing the, the book because that that's the kind of stuff I can do independently and I can just slot in time at the weekends or out of hours, which I did relentlessly. And I probably burnt the candle at both ends massively and ignored my family and, and just like worked solidly on recipe creation and chapter writing and all the things that, you know, exactly what I'm talking about having <laughs> yep. written your own book now. Um, but, uh, coloring medicine, uh, which is the nonprofit that I started a couple of years ago where we, teach medical students the foundations of nutrition and how to cook. That was all done at Westminster Kingsway. Uh, and we were really lucky in 2019 to have started the first compulsory culinary medicine module at UCL Medical School, one of the top universities in the UK, if not Europe. Um, 
and we were literally holding uh, bi-monthly sessions in the kitchen with culinary students, with a chef, with a registered dietitian and a, and a suite of different doctors um, teaching year five medical students nutrition and how to cook. And obviously halfway through that, we had to stop because everything was shut. And so we, we really quickly adapted to use um, the university uh, online system and I had to start doing cooking sessions in the studio here with the laptop in front of me. And we we organized um, and coordinated the, the the lectures with my my dietitian and, and the GPs. And it just it was amazing to see everyone come around together. And you know, one of the dietitians, Elaine McCann, she literally pulled together these lecture slides in, in, in like less than a few days and had them flashing up and we had engagement and like amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, happened with that so that was the probably the biggest pivot that we'd had to make to mm-hmm. switch everything online something that we've been working on for years as well mm-hmm. and it was great to see that see that yeah I guess em- embracing the tech and, and helping to people stay connected and to learn is mm. definitely something that you know I've seen that as a as a parent you know my son's nine so mm. we had to do you know a lot of the online work and a lot online school using using apps using different games I think you know for us as well, I guess, you know, we use social media, we use tech, we use, you know, we podcast, we do these things. And as you said, even for us kind of thinking, well, actually you might have a producer, you might have someone to help you out. But I think a lot of people, I think last year kind of said, you know what, I'm going to really get on board and embrace this and just go for it. You know, even mm. you know different ages, people saying, oh, I used to think I was too old to, you know, do Instagram lives or to do YouTube. And they've gone, <laughs> yeah. actually, I'm just going to do it because, yeah. you know, I think having that extra time and also out of necessity, being at home and being forced to say well this is the only option you don't have the studio option you don't have Mm. your usual interview setup or your talk that you wanted to do so you can either say well I'm not going to do anything or you can yeah embrace the tech and figure out a way maybe as well I think change is hard right so people feel nervous to put themselves out on the internet or on a podcast or YouTube it's it's scary and so Mm. yeah I think for a lot of people I've spoken to that have had to do that digital pivot with their work Mm. they've kind of been like yeah it's almost been a bit of a baptism of fire to say well you know but but also it's been more people have got used to doing it as well now so I think Mm. people's expectation of coming to a a virtual event or a virtual talk it's not just a lame thing with some slides it's actually you can really connect which has been I think the, the thing that people have learned maybe I think so as well. You know, I had to do my first. So we were planning on doing a live podcast in May um, and it was going to be this awesome thing where I was going to structure it into three main parts, eat, motivate, and I've forgotten the third one now, but it was like eat, motivate and something. Uh, and the eat bit was going to be all about nutrition. So having one of my my buddies there. And the motivate was all going to be an inspiring speaker. So I, one of my friends, Tulsi Vegiani, who's um, a Burns victim and, and grew up with bullying throughout her childhood and stuff. She's now a motivational speaker. Um, she's probably one of the most inspiring people I've ever come across. And I wanted to have her there. And I wanted to make it this immersive experience where there's going to be doctor's kitchen food. And, you know, because usually people listen to the podcast and they're like, oh, I wish I could eat that, like what they're enjoying right now. So I really wanted to like create this cool experience. Um, so we obviously we had to scrap that. And I did my first live podcast where I was just answering questions. And so, you know, it, it did motivate me to like really push the boat out and, and think, how can I connect with the audience and how can I offer positivity and hope in this time where everyone's just cooped up indoors and i you know uh, going back to the whole um 
fearful thing um, as a medic. I kind of felt privileged a bit because people were locked up and I still had the opportunity to go A, and have a job and B, work in a job where I was clapped every Thursday, which was, you know, unprecedented. And C, I could still see my colleagues. Granted, we're in PPE kit, but most people still are anyway. Um, but I could still be there and, and actually have that connection with people outside of my household. So I, in a strange way, I kind of felt quite lucky um, that I still had this sort of this, this safety net, whereas a lot of people were just dealing with insecurity and being cooped up inside. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it comes around to the, the frame of expectation and, and how I told the story of my present life to myself. Mm. And I think that's really important for, for anyone listening to this about how you tell your own story to yourself, because that can either be a positive or negative story. It's not as, as easy thing to do, but it's definitely a strategy that's helped me and, and potentially helped lots of other people as well. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more when it comes to that approach, the mindset the the perspective approach actually I think that's something that I talk about a lot and I challenge myself to think about a lot is mm. this is a perspective and as you said there's multiple perspectives of the exact same reality really but it's saying well what are the things that you want to focus on in and, and to kind of yeah I guess to to make that view or that perspective so what you were doing is incredibly admirable and challenging and I'm sure there were times when it was really difficult but I think maybe having that mindset, which I know you do, because I know you and I know you having that, that grateful mindset to go, I'm in the fortunate position, even though I'm afraid, even though this isn't ideal, nobody would choose this, nobody would mm. choose this, this pandemic, nobody would choose this situation. But if you are in a situation that you wouldn't choose, yeah, how are you going to view it? And what are you going to do? And actually, you know, really relate as well to what you said about connecting with people, because doing this show actually throughout the whole year and recording remotely and interviewing, having conversations and answering questions and reading people's feedback really did make it worthwhile. It kept me mm. motivated. It kept me uplifted to actually have these conversations and to keep sharing encouragement to people in, in a time when I think we definitely, definitely all needed it. But I'm going to talk to you about eat. You said the word eat, obviously doctor's kitchen, you cook and show the most delicious food. And I want to talk to you about food and diet and you mentioned already about culinary medicine and and, Mm. and lifestyle and there's a few things that I guess I did this to you last time Rupi I'm like here's my hit list I want to talk about supplements I want to talk about life longevity and I want to talk about variety because I think you know I'm in this space I I listen and read a lot and I think throughout the pandemic what I was Mm. seeing a lot were things about the gut microbiome things about vitamin d things about Mm. supplement and and some Sometimes I feel like, you know, we don't really know. Every, everyone's evidence-based. Everything mm. you see and read says it is evidence-based. Yeah. I don't know what the evidence yeah. is, but yeah. I guess I trust you. We all know and love you. So when it comes to <laughs> eat and food and diet, where should we start if we want to think about optimizing our diet for good health? Which is okay, very broad. so it's a very broad question. Yeah, so I mean, th- the first thing is uh, I-, I always start with the principles of healthy eating. And that's eating whole food, fiber, quality fats, color, and plant-focused. And we can go into those if you like. So whole food being that spectrum of food where you have refined sugar or refined flour on one side, and then you have raw food on the other side. And you want to be more towards this raw end. You don't want to eat all raw food all the time because by virtue of steaming or cooking or even chewing, you're processing your food. And that's allowing release of those bioactive materials so for better absorption. So you want to be 
more whole. Plant focused is the way I go. I know. Are you still plant based yourself, or definitely plant based, not plant a hundred percent. Not probably. I'd probably yeah. say I'm about a probably about an eighty twenty. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's very similar to me, and and that's why you know my cookbooks and all the food that I put out there is probably about 85, 90% plant based. And most people struggle to think of plant based ideas these days. But plant focus is certainly the way the longest living um, people and populations from around the world uh, eat, and that's something that I want to mimic. And also, it is certainly evidence based. The more plants, the, the better. And here in the UK and in the US, we definitely need to be eating a lot more plants. Um, fiber is absolutely essential. We'll come on to talk about it in a bit, but fiber and the different various subtypes of fiber, um, that you get from lots of different plant material, but also things like nuts, seeds, lentils, legumes that feed your microbiota, that nurture your, your entire body ecosystem. You know, it's responsible for releasing micronutrients, regulating blood sugar, regulating inflammation, which is a really interesting concept in itself. You know, these are all things that I, the microbiota are wholly responsible for. Um, colorful is, is maintaining that sort of that diversity and the variety of different phytonutrients that you get in your food. And these phytonutrients are contained within your humble apple and the most exotic spices like sumac and turmeric. Um, but really, it's about getting a variety of those different colors, whether they're expensive or not. It doesn't really matter. You just want variety. Um, and, and those and quality fats are nuts and seeds because those fats are, are not just fats on their own. They contain things like zinc, magnesium, vitamin E. These are all things that are quite lacking in our westernized diets. And fat itself as a, as a macronutrient is something that's wholly important for cell membrane structure, for brain health. Um, and for inflammation control as well. Um, so those are sort of the principles of healthy eating. And what underpins that is a lot of evidence base, quote unquote, <laughs> um, you know, population studies, gut microbiota studies, um, epidemiological studies looking at longevity, specifically inflammation, phytonutrients, all these different, you know, strata of, of evidence that we can look at. Um, really points towards uh, those being the, the principles that I like to talk about a lot. Um, and I mean, that's kind of how I came to the idea of 321, the book, Three Portions of Fruits and Vegetables per Person, Two Recipes per, Two Servings per Recipe, and Only Using One Pan, because it makes it easier to hit those principles of healthy eating on a daily basis but mm. we'll talk about that later. One thing, one thing that stands out to me though when I hear you describing that is that mm. It doesn't sound, you know, revolutionary or mm. really, it kind of sounds like, oh yeah, you know, the things that we've been told, we know these things, but they still mm. seem for some people so fundamentally difficult to achieve because as mm. we know, there's all these other things that impact our ability to choose the food that we eat, whether it's yeah. our emotional state, whether it's stress, whether it's availability, whether it's just convenience you know delicious whether it's cost there's all these things and mm. i think sometimes we know if we break it down you know i do listen to people who kind of they have much more extreme approach and you know they'll talk about one specific diet being the best mm. and eliminate this and eliminate that and you mm. all the things that kind of you know really really extreme actually some of them i listened to someone the other day talking about um i think it was maybe 
three to seven day water fast. I'm talking about the, <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow. I was talking about all the things that happen to the body and the cells and all these things and, and why we should yeah. be doing this, you know, post 40 years old. The suggestion from him was three to seven yeah. day water fast once a month. And, you know, people uh-huh. listen to this stuff and they're like, okay, that must be it. That must be yeah. the thing because it's extreme. Whereas what I really like about what you're, what you always say, and also with the book, you know, three, three, two, one, it's simple. And the thing around one pan, I mean, mm. that is a win for, for parents. <laughs> Everyone's happy about that. Yeah. But seriously, it's like, why, why is it that if these things are simple and we've known them for a long time, you know, having fiber, having fats, having variety, not eating processed foods, these aren't really strict, you know, out there rules or things mm. that we've never heard of, but why is it still so challenging for us to kind of just meet those basic requirements? Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I think we live in a culture of instant gratification that's probably been fueled by um, social media and the expectations that, that that have set out for for those reasons. So, I think when something is promised within a time period, um, it just sounds really exciting and sexy, and it cuts through the rather boring noise of just constant eat but a balanced diet eat you know your fruits and vegetables eat whole grains instead of refined grains you know because that's been the same kind of message and we haven't had uh, a significant change in how we feel or you know whatever that might be that's unfortunately the product you get a new fad diet every year and actually i, I came across an article um on a magazine the other day it was uh, the new diets to try in 2020 and it was just like you know this nutritionist professor has come up with this portion scheme or this numbering scheme and it just sounds like you know really really enticing um Mm. for anyone who is confused about nutrition but what i've done and what you've what you've pointed out is i've had the same message i've been in you know the public aspect of promoting nutritional medicine for about five years now and my You'd think that my message has ebbed and flowed with whatever's sexy right now, whether it be low carb or keto or vegan or whatever. But mine's been the same the whole way through because nutritional science does not go up and down in waves. It really meanders and trends. And and so we've had this trend from low fat to uh, low sugar. And so that is a big, long trajectory. And, you know, nutrition science is, as a as a uh, as a, an, a specialty doesn't go up and down it doesn't go up and down like you know uh, the nasdaq or whatever it, it it really stays very steady for a long period of time and people need to get used to that and the, the main issue and this is what i've kind of drilled down in in, in my latest book and the recipes that i'm putting out the main issue is maintenance of behavior change it's mm. maintaining that ability to eat fiber, to eat colorful, to eat well, and and be satiated and and be you know feel healthy and feel motivated. That's the biggest issue. And, and maybe and, even to eat less. And I'm sorry to jump in. I feel like it's quite a mm. controversial and unpopular opinion that, that mm. I, I have. I think maybe to eat less because I think, you know, let's be honest, we live in an abundance. We have abundance. If we are, you know, for a lot of people listening to this podcast anyway, we 
yeah, we have abundance. And I think it's really hard for people sometimes to just be honest and admit that, you know what, I'm m- myself included, you know, we're so lucky to have a fridge full of food, a freezer full of food, a cupboard full of food, the snacks, you can snack whenever you want. And I think yeah. that is something that's really difficult. And when you said about behavior change, you know, I actually written uh, a whole chapter in my book about habits. And mm. when you said about people want, um, you know, a defined period of time, a finish line. How many days do I need to do this, Adrienne, until it's a habit? How many days do I have to go for a run? Or how many days do I have to get up early? Or how many days? You know what? It takes as long as it takes. You have to maintain. And I think the reality of giving people like, oh, in 21 days, it's not true. It's not true. Setting them up for, for failure. But really, I think that's what I wanted to ask you as well is about, yes, we can have variety. We can try and, you know, and I'm not to say, you know, don't live your life, you know, don't have a glass of wine or don't enjoy mm. a pizza. Of course, I do those things. Mm. But I think mm. even for myself, challenging myself to go, you know what, you have too much. And that sometimes is why it's difficult because n- yeah. not necessarily in terms of, again, I'm not talking about fad diets. I'm not talking about weight management. I'm just talking about making choices. We're overwhelmed with choice. Even mm. ordering a coffee. Do you want what kind of milk? <laughs> yeah. Do you want decaf? Do you want it extra hot? Do what size do you want? Do you want to literally, you have to answer 17 questions to order yeah. coffee. So I think yeah. the abundance issue maybe makes it more confusing for people to even make a choice. What, what am I going to eat? <laughs> yeah, massively. And you know what? The abundance of choice something that you would expect to lead to greater levels of satisfaction actually does the reverse. And there's a fascinating book. I don't know if you've come across it. Um, It's by Professor Barry Swartz and it's called The Paradox of Choice. And it's literally about what you've just described there. It's about the abundance of of the, the different tick boxes we now have to, are forced to make before we've even woken up properly, you know, we have, we have choice capacity. We are, we are limited to the number of choices we can make. And if you um, spend those out in the first couple of hours of your day, then you're less likely to make rational decisions going forward. And so, and I'm glad you, you pulled up the, the rather, and it shouldn't be controversial that this whole element of we eat too much of abundance and, you know, actually having some restrictions. It's a very unpopular term right now to have some sort of guidance or rules or whatever you want to call them because you're either on on one side, which is diet, or you're anti-diet. There's no middle way at the moment and there should be a middle way and we should allow for conversations around some restrictions and actually having some um, indulging, not indulging, that's probably the, word, the, the wrong word, but guilt is actually a normal human emotion that we need to get comfortable with. It's when Mm. guilt spirals into shame, that's when there's an issue around food, not guilt itself. I will feel guilty if I watch Netflix till 10 or 11 p.m. and I wake up like, I will feel guilty. That's a normal human emotion and it will keep me on the straight and narrow. So the next time I'm tempted to watch TV in bed, which doesn't happen often, I won't do it because I'll feel guilty about it. We need to have that same relationship with Mm. food, but we need to also be careful that it doesn't spiral into the negative aspects. Absolutely. And I think it's because, you know, actions have consequences. And even if you take it to a simple, you know, again, being a parent of a nine-year-old, trying to teach your Mm. children that actions have consequences. So as you said, you're not the guilt and the shame, really, really great distinction because you're saying, oh, I might feel guilty because you know that the the consequence of staying up, maybe watching TV too late is that the next day when you feel tired and you're not able to do what you want to do, maybe with the energy that you want, you're not going to feel and and perform your best. That's where that guilt comes from because you're someone who wants to perform and uh, your best 
best and feel good. Mm. And so that's where the guilt comes from. As you said, it's not shame of, oh, you mm. watch TV late. You, you know, you're not, it's not, you're not a child. You're not going to punish, there's no punishment there. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. But I really think you're, you know, you're right. The diet culture conversation is so fragile and very uh explosive shall we say mm. online around you know everything especially for women you know you mm. know me you know i've worked in the fitness and wellness space for a decade and similar to you you know my message has remained the same it's not changed it's not up and down if i go back 10 years five years two years i'm saying the same thing you know mm. movement encouragement motivation energy how do you want to feel how do you want to move and i think as it's changed from you know macros this to tracking that to looking a certain way to six pack this to now you know uh i don't know in embracing this and diet culture pushing back and it for women i feel like it's a minefield and it's almost mm. like if you aren't everything now is being you know we've been told everything's diet culture and anything that's even talking about health and yeah it's being brushed with that same thing of this is diet culture you're telling mm. women to lose weight you're telling women to be smaller you're telling women to restrict themselves mm. no actually i think there is definitely definitely a middle where i want to live a healthy life i want to feel good i want to have energy for my son i want to i want i want to be able to do the things that i want and feel vibrant and i don't think that in a diet that is high in sugar and high in alcohol and all of those things yes in the immediate moment of it tastes delicious it's, it's not about mm. never enjoying my life but for me to enjoy my life it doesn't look like that absolutely absolutely this is the thing and you know it's interesting that you pulled that up about women being particularly um, exposed to this because I, I read a comment, I can't really, I can't remember what it was, but someone said something like, oh, this is a really nice healthy meal. And someone commented on that comment saying, we well, can't call it healthy because that's a label and that feeds into diet culture. And it, Come on. It, it, like, I'm literally like looking at it with birds <laughs> of you like, that's a restriction in itself. You can't, <laughs> you can't tell Come people on. not to call something. And I had this interesting, I, I talked about it on the pod a while. I can't remember which episode it was. But I had this interesting realization about the vernacular and how um, it depends on the person uh, that you're speaking to. So I had a patient come in who's a 50-year-old uh, male uh, guy who, you know, wanted to change his life and he was really motivated. And he said to me in no uncertain terms, I need to clean up my diet. I need to eat clean. And, you know, all these sorts of words that I've trained myself not to use because I know it's quite inflammatory online and I, and I personally don't use that terminology. But for that person, I'm not going to be like, no, 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 you can't use the word clean because, it, you know, because that means something completely different to that person. And I doubt that they, that person is going to spar into an eating disorder given his circumstance and everything. So it really comes down to the, the person themselves. But on that note of being a responsible influencer, you know, I put a post out recently about how I would prefer people not to follow me if they identify with a category where they feel that healthy eating or me banging on about fruits and vegetables all day long, which I'm always going to do, is feeding into shame about mm. their, eating, their own eating habits. And if that's, you know, if people can become honest with themselves about that 
and they choose, you know what? I'm not going to follow the doctor's kitchen because that's not really for me. That's, that's a fantastic result for me. That's a really good result because we all need to learn to be filters of our digital landscape. Mm-hmm. And there are people that I choose not to follow anymore because I, I, I realized it was having a negative impact on mm-hmm. myself. And, and I'm sure, you know, you, you might share the same opinion. Well, yeah, I saw that post, actually. I thought it was really interesting. And yeah, I think, to be honest, what I believe that it comes down to is ownership. And I talk about it quite a lot, actually, about extreme ownership and kind of taking that responsibility into your own hands, exactly as you just described, to say, is this for me? Do I want this? Mm. And choosing it. It's a choice. We have to make our own choices and sometimes to police our own behavior. So that's certainly how I view it. It's like, is this a choice? Is this something that I I want? You know, this whole, is this good for me? Does this make me feel good? Does this give me more energy than it takes? Does it make me feel Mm. bad? Do I moan about it? Do I complain about it? It's your choice to, Mm. yeah, engage with that. So yeah, I think definitely with the, you know, I'm sure my message is not for everyone. You know, I'm sure some people are like, brilliant. I feel encouraged. I feel uplifted. I'm sure some people think oh my gosh no no it's too much you know like and that's okay it it doesn't have to be for everyone but I think that it's really incredible work that you do I think that you know there's like I said I think there's something really important to to focus on right now which is it doesn't have to be extreme it doesn't have Mm. to be polarizing it doesn't have to be you know new year what new fad diet thing are you going to give a go like actually let's just return to what we know fundamentally as you say remains and hasn't changed because Mm. there's a reason that it's remained for so long and 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 on the last thing i'm going to say on on the eat and the food is about supplements because i feel (laughs) like it's just something that people ask me about a lot and they'll say and i'll be honest with you i used to be i think a little bit skeptical about supplements i used to be like oh is this necessary if i have a balanced diet if i make Mm. you know fresh food and and i think we're all creatures of habit so i probably do repeat a lot of the same foods you know i buy the Mm. same things each week i think we all do that and so i actually uh i think just because earlier it was was kind of summertime and like my energy levels just weren't right and i felt a lot of inconsistency in mood to do with my cycle and i was like oh you know Mm. what my friend absolutely raves about vitamin b supplement i'm gonna just give it a go whatever and i took a vitamin b supplement every day for once you know normally i would take it for five days and then forget but i actually took it every day for about probably 60 days and i actually felt it i was like i felt better i don't know if it was placebo but i was like i felt this more consistent mood throughout my cycle so that was the first time in my life when i was like hang on all these people that have been banging on about supplements and I would just roll my eyes and go, oh, just eat a banana. And now I'm like, maybe supplements actually work. So Dr. Rupi, supplements, are they a money-making fad or do they actually work? Because I feel great. Yeah. (laughs) So I I think the the first thing to say about the supplementation industry is that uh, it is a huge industry that is capitalizing on people's fear of being deficient. Uh, and there is this kind of myth that's perpetuated by these companies that, you know, if you uh, supplement, then you will maintain and outperform a, a diet and you can out supplement your way uh, out of a bad diet, which is just not true. Um, fundamentally, we all need that foundational good diet because no, no number of you know supplements are going to take that away. That being said, there are supplements that Again, I've talked about from book one that I think uh, are ones that um, should be at least entertained or um, investigated to see whether you need them or not. And the number one, and given that we've both got darker complexions, vitamin D3 is something that I think uniformly is uh, deficient in darker skin complexions, but also 
because we live in the UK during the winter months, it's also man, uh, um, recommended by the NHS as well. There is a bit of skepticism around vitamin D, even even though the data appears to be so compelling. I actually had um, Professor Tim Spector, who's very anti-supplementation um, in general, uh, and he studied vitamin D in great length. And he's like, nah, don't, don't, don't think about it uh, in terms of um, something that you need. It's actually a marker of poor health for other reasons. So there is skepticism out there. I'm on the fence of it's pretty innocuous, even at high doses. It's very hard to get hypervitaminosis from vitamin D3. So I take one to 2,000 international units a day um, throughout the year. And, and that's you know been shown to be very, very helpful for a lot of people. So that's the first one. Omega-3, long-chain omega-3 fatty acids, EPA and DHA, pretty good looking at cardioprotective and brain protective uh, benefits. Spoken to a number of different people who have studied this in great length as well, particularly for women, um, uh, peri and postmenopausal age, uh, very useful. Um, and I, 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 I take an omega-3 vitamin uh, supplement. You can get an algae version as well for those who are vegan. The um, flaxseed and walnut and chia oil, doesn't. That, that's not the type of vitamin, uh, sorry, the omega-3 that you want. Uh, and then vitamin B complex, again, something I mentioned in my first book um, and something I take myself because I have a largely plant-based diet. But even those who are omnivorous, um, you know, vitamin B12 is uniformly quite deficient. I'm no longer surprised when I see vitamin B12 levels quite low in patients. There is uh, an association with um, high inflammation levels and low vitamin B12. So it definitely impacts the absorption of B12. Um and also, we've lost uh, some of the microbial diversity in our plants, which actually leads to lack of vitamin B12, and even in animal products as well. Um, so those are the main ones. And then iron for menstruating women, so women of childbearing age, um, particularly if there's um, menorrhagia, so heavy bleeding. Um, and everyone's period is very different. Um, to, to, there's no such thing as a normal cycle. You know, if, whenever I ask women about the cycle, I was like, I was normal. It's like, you know, <laughs> normal for you could be like 10 days with like, you know, three or four times, uh, you know, clots and everything. So it's, it's very individual. And again, iron is something that's quite hard to get from a purely plant-based diet unless you're having tons of beans and nuts and legumes and stuff. Mm. So a supplement in those cases could be useful. And then you go into like nootropics. Now I've done like a two hour pod episode with someone who's far smarter than me and has studied this in far greater detail. Uh, and it's really interesting, you know, that looking at um, different types of mushrooms, different, looking at um, uh, berberine and resveratrol, a um, whole bunch of other supplements. But, you know, it's such an inexact science because the N of one, i.e. yourself, is so different to what may have been studied in the studies that they're using to sell you a supplement. So it really goes down to your individual experience. So the fact that you've had a positive experience with a B, I'm assuming it was a B vitamin complex, mm -hmm. was it? Or yeah. yeah. So, you know, it just goes to show that it can have an effect. And actually on the subject of mood, um, there are some really interesting studies looking at riboflavin, which is a B vitamin um, and improvements in, in mood as well, alongside, you know, all the other studies looking at dietary intervention, which I think is like the core and nutritional psychiatry is a, is a burgeoning science in itself and a lot more traditional psychiatrists are getting interested in this aspect as well. So in this field. So yeah, that's my top line on supplements. 
Brilliant. Thank you. That was great. And I think I think mood is a really interesting one for me because, as I said, I'm someone who, you know, I'm naturally optimistic. I have high energy, but given... Mm. 2020 and the kind of I mean wow it was one thing after another thing after another thing I actually saw this Mm. kind of funny meme on Twitter that said something about like every time in my life that I've ever said I'm at the end of my tether 2020 has taught me that I was only ever at the middle of my tether (laughs) and I was just like that is so true because I did feel like at one point it was pretty relentless and so what I mean about mood is of course you know of course we're going to experience low mood we have different Mm. You know, we're human beings. We're not going to be like happy, optimistic all the time. But mm. I think it was more around really noticing a pattern within mm. my cycle of like this one week, which I, I labeled as hell week, when I just mm. felt like that week in terms of my energy and my mood and my kind of ability, my capacity to cope with my normal life and the ability to want to run or want to work. Or, yeah. you know, I think when you're noticing that actually every you know, if you, I think for women, especially if you've never tracked your cycle before, it really, yeah. really, really was such a game changer for me to, yeah, to take the, the, the B vitamin and to watch and see and feel so much better. So yeah. I'm sticking with it. I'm sticking with it. What, but, what app did you use to track your cycles out of interest? So it's an app called Moody. Oh yeah, no, I've heard of Moody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I'd never I, done it. Honestly, thirty-three years old, I'd never tracked my cycle before last year, and yeah. now I just can't stop talking about it because it's just a game changer. You know what? I I, I really think um, if I was an investor and I was bullish on trends, I would definitely invest in um, those sorts of devices that simply track menses because there's so many insights like you just stated there for women that you can you can take out of it you know your mood your eating habits your energy levels all those different things in the same way i track sleep and i recognize how much of an impact that has like if i have a poor night's sleep i'm not doing a hit workout the next day whereas before i would have been in the mindset of like push through it you know it's going to give you energy you gotta, you gotta, no, no, no no i know that's counterproductive now and so in the same way as something as sensitive as where you are in your menstrual cycle you know, it could be game changing for how you feel throughout the whole month. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that's definitely an area that uh, warrants a lot more attention. Absolutely. And when it comes to, as you said, about hit training or activity levels, I really think it's going to be a key focus for me this year because I'm going to be training for my first ever ultra event. And I think wow. for women who, yeah, I think for women who are active and for running, especially if you're doing endurance running, you know, back to the supplements, the iron, the B vitamin, I think, you know, looking at your cycle and knowing, is this the best week to have Mm. a really heavy training week and run 80 kilometers? Or is this the week to kind of have your, yeah, more, more rest week and physio and, and take, take, do some Pilates and have a break. So I'm really going to be tracking and keeping, keeping it aligned with that. And I'm really interested to learn more about that actually. So hopefully the more I learn about that, um, I can share that with others. And I think for a lot of people that listen to this podcast, I know there's a lot of runners that listen to the show. So I think maybe, yeah, I think, looking more into into the supplements and how and how do you think that it's the same basically same applies if you are a more in a more active lifestyle Mm, yeah definitely i'm mate i'm totally in awe of you the fact that you do like ultra event you're a a mother a podcaster an author like (laughs) i don't know how you deal with all that those different activities Okay, so let's talk about, oh my gosh, I'm realizing that I could talk to you all day. I absolutely love you, Rupi. I'm so sad I didn't see you last year. I'm so sad I, I didn't see you last year. So hopefully we can actually see each other in real life soon. Yeah, definitely. So 
I guess I want to talk to you a little bit about the power hour. It's definitely the you know, new year, new questions. I've got a few mm. new questions for you at the end, but has your morning routine changed? If it has changed, how has it changed? Do you still, last time you were on the show, you talked about being grateful in the morning and, mm. and just having a moment, not, you know, it doesn't have to be an hour or 15 minutes, but just having a moment to think about something that is coming up for you that day and something mm. that you want to, yeah, be be grateful for or focus on so has your morning routine changed since you were last on the show may it's changed massively tell us all <laughs> about it tell changed us. so much so so first of all we've got puppy so that massively changed my sleep patterns we got puppy in may um and it was literally like having a baby like she would wake <laughs> up and she was walking around and she'd go for a toilet and like she'd want to jump on the bed and all this kind of stuff so that 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 really caused like my sleep to be completely out of whack. Um, and more recently, we've transitioned her out of the bedroom. So she's away from, and she's got her own little bed, but she needs to go to the toilet in the morning. So um, I now wake up at 5.55 in the morning, uh, every morning to go and take her out. So I, I, I do my mantra in the morning. Second I wake up, I don't look at my phone for a good two hours from morning to like seven, seven or seven thirty, maybe even later sometimes take her out for a walk. So that's kind of like my mindful uh, element. So just take her out for a walk, go around. She does the toilet, come back, I do my meditation straight away. Um, and I do a mixture of breath work, guided meditations and body scans. And then I do um, journaling um and and action boarding yeah so me it's, too it's, oh my gosh journaling <laughs> is just like i listened to talking to my brother about this yesterday because he was like yeah everyone talks about it i was like trust me it yeah. will change everything definitely definitely you should come out with your own journal book or something honestly there's like a supplement for like literally just a just a book with like cool branding on it or something i don't know but like uh, it's been it's been um a bit of a game changer for me um i also read a book um a couple of books so there's the 5 a.m club by robin sharma uh which i'm sure you've come across and talked about there's uh the source by tara swart which is like it's kind of like uh a scientific version of the secret that was published 14 years ago this is from her perspective as a neuroscientist and uh, someone who is a trained psychiatrist as well. And, it, you know, action boarding, as she calls it, instead of visual, visual um, board or visualizations, it kind of gives you the impetus that this is what you're going to change your life toward. So that's something I've been working on, really. But that hour in the morning where I'm, I'm purely focused, I've got zero distractions, and I start work at like 6 a.m., man, it's been really game-changing for me. And it means that I can actually stick to my goal of finishing work by 6 p.m. And I literally just turn off my 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 phone, my emails, like you can't really contact me. And yeah, it's been it's been pretty game changer. I've been doing it for like the last three months or so. Yep. And it's great. I, mean, I was really excited to tell you about it actually. Yes, I was wondering yeah, what your opinion yeah. was going to be. <laughs> yeah, well, it's so similar because obviously, you know, I'm up early. So yeah, being up at 5.30, I think journaling for me has been a game changer. And also, you know, when you said, you know, very kindly, how do you do so many things with, you know, mm. training for endurance events and my son and writing the book and the podcast. And also, you know, I think most people probably know, but my role at Fit has changed a lot. You know, the I'm uh, mm. at Fit, which is the UK's leading fitness app. And when I started, there I was a trainer then I was master trainer then I was uh, consulting in the brand team and then last year I actually became director of innovation and performance so I actually work as well probably three days a week 
in a team of 70 people for a company. Wow. So actually, you know, so many things. I actually truly believe if I didn't have non-negotiable time in my diary mm. if i didn't have white space if i didn't have the power hour there's no way that i would be able to show up in these different things and give my best energy my best to, to all the different things that i want to do and i'm a yes person so i do want to do a lot and 100%. it's not saying you know just be busy all the time i actually think busyness has become you know a badge of honor which it shouldn't yeah. be it's not about busyness for busy's sake but the reality is I want to do a lot of things. I am ambitious. We have one life to live. 2020 mm. taught us that mm. we do not know what is coming. Tomorrow is uncontrollable. You do not know. So the reality for me is like, yeah, I need to get up early. I've got a lot to do. I need to be, I need to be focused and I need to prioritize my time basically yeah. because it's important to me. So Absolutely. that's why I, that's why I want other people to understand as well is it's, it's not, if, if you're not a morning person or you don't like the idea of early or whatever it's not a punishment it's not something that you have to do it's if something is important to you and you don't have time to do it you owe it to yourself to make it happen yeah. because no yeah. one else your time is given throughout the day as we know to different people uh, different demands on our time we're connected 24 mm. 7 those demands are there unless you take some of that time back and kind of ring fence it yeah. you'll just give it you'll just give it all away 100 so yeah. yeah morning and mornings it, i could you know definitely and i love what you you said about business being almost a badge of honor these days because it goes back to what i was saying about the story that you tell yourself if you if you're constantly saying to you know your parents or your friends or whatever i'm busy i'm busy but i'm so busy earlier you become busy even if you are capable of maintaining that busy schedule. So if you're capable of dealing with a busy schedule, you're no longer busy. You're maintaining everything. You're thriving. And so I've started the process of not telling other people that I'm busy. They always say, oh, you must be very busy. I'm like, I'm okay. I'm good, actually. Um, but that combined with the confidence to start saying no because i'm like you i'm a people pleaser i'm a yes person i want to say i want to do everything uh you know but when opportunities come towards you you need to be able to filter them out and actually say this is a priority this is less of a priority um that combined with with all the other sort of you know filters and support mechanisms it, it can it can really be game-changing but mm -hmm. making time for what you're truly passionate about um, it comes out in journaling as well. It really does. You, you really figure out what's important to you and what should be prioritized. And you will subconsciously and consciously do that throughout your day. Absolutely. If you haven't given it a try, I've been talking about it for a long time. Pick up that pen and just give it a try. Be open-minded to, to trying new things. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to ask you my new questions. New year, new questions. So it's kind of a quick fire round, but there's no pressure here. Okay, so first question is, what is the best thing that you have bought for less than 100 pounds? The best thing that I bought for less than 100 pounds? Something that brings you joy, something that you you love. That's a bloody good question. <laughs> Just that is such a good question. Well, it's definitely not my dog because she costs so much money. <laughs> yeah. oh, I'll tell you what it was. Um, we bought uh, a Furbo which is um, like this uh, video, it's kind of like a baby monitor. And so we can see her in the middle of the night. And it means that if I think I heard her crying, I don't need to get up and then go and wake her up. Honestly, that's been game changing. That's been really good. I'm very practical, but like, yeah, that, that's actually one device. And I don't spend money these, I'm very frugal. 
these are particularly in 2020. So that, that's been um, pretty game-changing for me. <laughs> Great. So any, and I think there's a lot of people that got pets last yeah. year. So for, for um, doggy owners, there you go. Yeah. Okay, next question is, what one book that you recommend to everyone? Uh, I think it's either going to be your book, um, which I still, I'm still waiting on the copy, by the way. It hasn't come oh, yet, um, okay. but I, I'll be I'll most likely going to be recommending your book because if it's anything like your podcast, it's going to be full of inspiration from, you know, different people, kind of the tools of, you know, you've had some amazing people on, on the podcast. I mean, myself excluded, but like, uh, you, you, you know, you definitely glean some insights and the fact that you compiled it into a book, I think it'd be amazing. Um, but the, the other book that I um, recommend, if there's two, it would be The Source and The 5am Club because um, mm. they've been pretty game-changing for me thus far. Um, mm. So T- TBC on uh, how effective those two are as well. <laughs> well, I'm honoured to be on that list, so thank you. Okay, next one is one thing that you are excited about right now. What's coming up that you're excited about? So w- what I'm excited about... Um, is the culinary medicine course, which is going to be for medical professionals. We also want to extend that to nurses as well. Um, so we're really trying to magnify the nutritional medicine message. Um, but also I'm creating my own digital platform as well. So the app, um, which is going to be a library of recipes, um, which we can tailor to people based on dietary preferences and nutrition goals. So we've done a whole lot of research looking at the empirical evidence for people who are interested in skin health, fertility, arthritis, brain optimization, gut health, you know, all these different variables. Uh, And we can match according to what people need to eat with delicious doctor's kitchen recipes that you can make within 20, 30 minutes. Um, And we also want to add a meal planning function as well. So you can literally meal plan within 30 seconds, create digital shopping lists that can be fulfilled by online supermarkets if you wish. So it really closes that that loop and and allows people to know exactly what they should be eating and enjoy healthy food every day. Brilliant. That is exciting. That sounds great. And I mean, as I said, working in an app myself, um, in a startup and in that world, it's it's definitely exciting. It's fun. It's challenging. It's fast paced. So yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) And my final question, which I asked last year and I've asked a lot of people and I love it so much, so I've kept it, is if you were given the gift of one extra hour every single day, what would you use your extra hour to do? That's a great question. So the extra hour, what I would do is, um, it sounds quite boring, but I would read for that entire hour. I, I have a, I mean, you can see behind me, I've got this like bookshelf of, of books, half of which are unread. Um, but there's so much I would love to just dive into actually and give myself the space to enjoy and learn from. Um, there's nothing quite like getting into a, a book that changes your life and that you know you're only one book away from making a significant change to your lifestyle that will impact you going forward you know i've i've talked about two or three including yours i'm sure um but and i I feel like you know the opportunity cost of of not reading those books is, is grand so actually i should be reading a lot more and using using my hours in the morning brilliant brilliant answer i love that it's why i love talking to you rupee and i really hope i get to see you and we can enjoy some delicious food together and hopefully not have to be two meters apart but let's see and thank you so much for being a fantastic guest for being the first guest of the year and and we have for coming back onto the show thank you pleasure and tell us where we can get three two one just one more time where can we get the book 
Oh, all good bookstores and online. Um, and yeah, all the usual sort of outlets and the doctorskitchen.com as well. Great. Just search Doctor's Kitchen. So thank you so much for tuning in and for listening to the Power Hour podcast. It's great to be back. It definitely has kept me uplifted and motivated to start the new year and to make things happen. And if you haven't already, then please do grab your copy of Power Hour book because it's out now. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. See ya. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.